Blog Talk Radio. Good morning, fellow animal folks, and welcome to the Pet Place Radio Show. I'm your host, Marie Hewitt, and I hope everyone is having a spectacular weekend so far. You know, here in Southern California, we all recognize we have the potential to experience serious earthquakes and wildfires, but honestly, with tornadoes and floods regularly wreaking havoc in other parts of the country, I have to admit we have it pretty easy here. This morning, Deborah Schnackenberg, Vice President of Emergency Services for the American Humane Association, will be reporting from the scene of current rescue operations in a part of the country where floodwaters are about to crest to record levels. She's got some pretty dramatic stories of rescue and can fill us in on what's happening to pets and their owners throughout that region. Then, after our halftime break, Susan Wilcox, the author of a wonderful book that encourages children to learn about animals, will be letting us know what inspired her and how she hopes this book will make its way into every home with children and adults who are children at heart. This is an episode of The Pet Place that you won't want to miss even a single moment. So get comfy, call your pets over to your laps, and we'll be back in just a second here on AM 1260. Welcome back. You're listening to the Pet Place Radio Show on AM 1260. I'm Marie Hewitt, and I am honored to introduce our first guest of the day. It's Deborah Schnockenberg. Vice President of Emergency Services for the American Humane Association. Welcome, Deborah. Oh, thank you. It's a pleasure to be here. Where are you right now? That's the big question. I am at the moment in Memphis, Tennessee, where we are uh, assisting the county with running um, a large emergency animal shelter due to the flooding here in Memphis. Wow. And we are also... also um, doing animal rescues out in the flood. We have a couple of boat teams out. How bad is it right now? You know, the river uh, crested um, yesterday, and it was we're told it was a long rolling crest. Um, uh, I believe it's starting to go down at the moment, but, yeah, there are some significant areas flooded here in Memphis, as you're probably seeing on TV. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, it's significant enough that we are getting um, fairly regular requests moment for um, owners who are calling and asking us to go um, help their pets out of some situations that they didn't expect to have happen in their home. Oh, my goodness. So did they evacuate and leave their pets thinking that their pets would probably be okay? Is that what happened? Well, uh, I think sometimes I think that happens, and I'm sure that's um, a circumstance with a number of them. Um, I also think that... um, when we when we talk to the owners and, and uh, reunite the pets with the owners, we're also hearing that the water in some areas, particularly over the last couple of days, came up much sooner than they expected. Oh. And so they were in the process of, you know, moving their family or their belongings, and they were thinking, um, well, I have, you know, I have another 12 hours or so, and they would come back to their homes and find out that they've been cut off from their homes. So oh, okay. sometimes it was just a matter of timing. Okay, so they were making multiple trips back and forth trying to get everything out of the house and of course you want to get your pet last because they're going to be most 
uncomfortable in the evacuation process, so the longer they could stay home, the better. That's the mentality going on, right? Yeah, exactly. We um, A couple of days ago we had a gentleman who um, had horses and dogs, and, uh, of course, he decided to move his horses first since that was a little bit um, more complicated mm-hmm. and then come back for his dogs. So he got his horses out just fine and got them to a place of safety and came back for his dogs and, and found he couldn't get back into his home because the water had come up so fast. So it is situations like that that, that we're seeing. Now, how are you responding to help these animals? Do you have boats, or how does the process work? Yeah, exactly. American Humane Association um, runs uh, a really broad-based emergency services program for animals. So we have um, rescue teams, fully trained rescue teams that... Um, uh, go out and do water rescue uh, at the request of the county. Um, and then we are, as I said earlier, helping uh, the county with an emergency animal shelter here. Uh, so once the animals are rescued, if the owners don't have a place to put the animals, then we can put them into emergency sheltering and we're keeping those animals safe while, while their owners figure out what's happening with their homes or, or what they're going to be doing next. Okay. Uh, so so we, we're helping on both ends, the rescue and the care. I thought after Hurricane Katrina that rules started changing in shelters where people could bring their pets. Is that not completely true? Uh, yeah, that's that's a little bit of a misunderstanding. With the Pets Act, which was the federal act um, that um, folks are referring to, um, what the Pets Act says is that uh, communities have to plan and they have to add um, animals into their emergency plan so that citizens feel comfortable that they can evacuate with their pet. Um, the ability to evacuate means that um, both the, the people and the animal will get sheltered. It doesn't mean they go into the same shelter. Um, oh, I see. So, okay. so what you'll see uh, are, are a couple of different things. Sometimes we have what we call co-located sheltering, which means that we have facilities uh, available to set up an animal shelter right next to the human shelter. Okay. And that's a real wonderful way to be able to approach it if you can do that. If you can't, um, then um, what we do is assure that people coming into human shelters have someplace safe to take their pet, and that's what we're doing here in Memphis. There are several human shelters open right now, um, and those folks can come to the human shelter, and then we assist them in taking their animal over here to the emergency shelter uh, where we're taking care of their animals. So so unlike Katrina, where people didn't feel like they could evacuate and take their their pet someplace safe, um, they can evacuate and know that they're taking their, their pet someplace safe now. Okay. Now, have you also noticed that more people are putting ID tags on their pets since the Hurricane Katrina incident where so many pets were impossible to identify and get back to their owners? Is it different this time around? I wish I could, I wish I could say that that was true, Marie, but I... I find that people are um, tagging their pets or not tagging their pets probably at about the same rate um, as they have been for, for many, many years. Oh, um, and, and, you know, what we encourage is not just tagging your pet but also microchipping. Mm-hmm. Um, it's, so, it's so important to microchip your pets, particularly cats, um, but dogs as well. Okay. Because even if, even if they lose their collar and their tag, you know, a microchip... Um, will help us find that owner and get that pet back to the owner. Absolutely. And what are some other things that you recommend people do? Should they take photographs? What other ways can they ensure that they could get their pet after they've gone through this evacuation process? 
Well, just like families should put together a 72-hour kit for their families, um, they should put together a 72-hour kit for their pets. You know, have enough, have enough food for three days, have enough water for three days. You know, be prepared to put your um, pet in a safe um, uh, transport um, uh, container, whether that's a crate or a cage or or what have you. Um, mm -hmm. Taking taking photos is essential, um, and, and more importantly, take a photo of yourself with your pet. Okay. Um, that way, if you lose track of your pet, the the um, authorities can clearly look at the picture and say, "Oh yes, I see that that, that that's your pet." Um, and the other thing we really recommend is when you when you put a tag on your dog, don't put your home phone number on it. Um, put a cell phone number on it, or put the number of somebody who doesn't live, uh, you know, in your locality, because when the home phones don't work, sometimes the best re way to reach owners is through, you know, a relative or their cell phone because oh, you can be sure advice. that those phones are still working. That is wonderful advice, yes. And another thing, too, that, that you're probably experiencing is that a lot of these animals are injured, possibly, uh, if they've left, been left behind and they're in the area of the flood. What kind of situations are you coming across when you're going back to the properties and finding these animals, what kind of shape are they in? Um, in the flood, it's mostly contamination. Um, we, we aren't seeing a lot of injured animals, but what we do see are animals that have inhaled water um, while trying to swim to safety, mm -hmm. um, or they've gotten, you know, um, contaminated water, you know, into their eyes or what have you. And so, one of the first things we do when we bring them in um, is, is decontaminate them from the flood water they've been in. You know, give them a thorough checkup, um, and that's very different than what you see, for instance, the recent tornadoes down in the same area, uh, we were seeing a lot of animals with physical injuries, you know, cuts, bruises, that kind of thing. Mm -hmm. in, flood, in floods, it's usually contamination and, and uh, ingesting flood water. Okay. What about in the swift water situation? Isn't the river moving much more quickly than it normally does? Is that not an issue? Um it can be particularly at cresting, um, but a lot of the flooded areas are being flooded from backwater okay. from the river rising, and so those areas are what we normally call flat water areas, meaning there's not a lot of current, there's just a lot of water, um, and that, and that, um, which you often see in and around homes and subdivisions. Okay, and about how many animals have you guys rescued so far? Um, as of this morning, uh, over the past few days, we've actually done water rescue uh, and rescued about 49 animals. Um, but here at the shelter, we have a around 200 animals um, that we're sheltering right now that have been brought in from owners who themselves have had to go into emergency sheltering. And are you mostly dealing with dogs and cats, or are you also having to take care of livestock, horses, cattle, other animals, what's going on? Yeah, we're taking care of pets here at the shelter. Um, we don't have livestock or horses. And, of course, most of that is dogs and cats. But we have some parakeets and ducks, and I think we even have a guinea pig back there. Uh, <laughs> I heard here on the news, and maybe you can tell me if you're encountering these, that there are water moccasins uh, swimming around causing problems for people. Um, I would have to tell you that none of my rescue teams have reported that, um, but this is the South, it is Tennessee, and there are water moccasins here. 
so it wouldn't surprise me if some of the other teams out there might be experiencing that. We do run into snakes down this part of the country when we're doing water rescue. Oh, that's a little disturbing. <laughs> <laughs> they are poisonous, and I'm sure it's just uh, not nice to have in the back of your mind that you could step on one or walk into one when you're in the middle of a rescue. So. Well, no, and you, and you bring up a very good point. That's why we try to assure that um, we're putting very well-trained people into the field. Um, uh, these are folks who are used to doing boat rescue in this environment. They understand the hazards. They're looking for things like water moccasins or, you know, submerged equipment that might be um, something that they would run into with a boat or, you know, open holes that they can't see underwater. Uh, it's so important to send people out to do this work who are well-trained and, and can do this work safely. So I, I have no doubt they're looking for water moccasins even as we speak. Do you have some photos that people can look at online? And if so, what's the website where they can look at it and possibly even get involved and help out? Oh, absolutely. If, uh, if your uh, listeners would like to take a look at a couple of really interesting video clips, I, I believe we posted some today, and we'll do that again a little bit later today of our water rescue efforts. And that's at um, AmericanHumane.org. And... And if they want to help, um, there's also a donate button there. And if they would like to donate, that will certainly go to help our efforts here with the rescue and the sheltering that we're doing in Memphis. Wonderful. You guys are nothing short of heroic, and my hat's off to you. And thank you so much for being with us this morning. Oh, you're more than welcome. Thank you for uh, having us today. We need to take a quick pet place break now, but don't go away. Susan Wilcox is waiting in the wings to talk about a very special book she created for kids to learn about animals. We'll be right back. Welcome back to the Pet Place Radio Show on AM 1260. I'm Marie Hewitt, and joining me now is one of the most creative and big-hearted people I know. It's Susan Wilcox, author of the book called I Touched a... Dot, dot, dot. Welcome to the Pet Place, Susan. Thank you, Marie. I Touched a... That, you know, that can lead to some interesting conversation starters. <laughs> I am sure that's why a lot of people read the press release. They were wondering, my goodness, what is this? Um, it was actually an adaptation of a little book my stepson did called I Pet A. Uh, and I, But you can't pet every animal. What this little book is, is it's actually an activity book for kids. Okay. And it is designed to be a journal where they can keep the memories of all the animals that they've met. Oh, how cool. So they basically add in their own words to a template. Correct. They they call me an author, but that really is a misnomer. <clears throat> um it the book itself has has a little frame where it can you can put in a four by six photograph. Oh. And then there's space for the animal's name, the scientific name, so that we're a learning experience. Mm -hmm. And then the child is asked, well, what did the animal feel like? And what did the animal look like? What else do you remember about this animal? And um, the facing page has a little room for them to draw pictures or to uh, write their own little story about meeting this animal. 
And um, oh. so I touched uh, is a matter of we couldn't fill in the blanks. We don't know what animals they're going to have the opportunity to touch. <laughs> I touched a dangerous, poisonous snake that was in my backyard today. <laughs> oh, my God. And my mom said, no, put it down. <laughs> a relative of mine actually did that. She touched a copperhead quite by accident, and uh-huh. um, she's going to get to keep her thumb. But it was oh, touch no. and go there for a while. She we are not encouraging didn't. that, however. Oh. We're not encouraging touching. That's good to know. <laughs> <laughs> the, the book's designed for, you know, younger children, and we stress, you know, repeatedly, do this with an adult. Make sure the animal is safe to touch. Make sure the animal is not going to be injured if you touch them because many animals are fragile and you need to know exactly how to do that. And so to that end, um, we also have a a companion website that goes along with the book, um, the intention of which is to have articles about different animals kids might want to touch and the best ways to approach those animals. What is that website? Uh, It's called www, of course, newanimalfriends.com. www.newanimalfriends.com. Okay, everybody write that down. Correct. (laughs) And and the first new animal friend we talk about is a tarantula. Oh, that's fun. So, yeah, I thought that would be an attention getter. Definitely. Little furry Spiders, well, big furry spiders, actually. Well, one of one of my childhood memories is being at a school program and having this. His name was Lou Johnson. It's amazing. I must have been 13 at the time, and I can remember his name. It made such an impression. But he had a tarantula, uh-huh. and of course, we're teenage girls, and we're screaming and, oh, and, and, and you know everything else. And, and the spider runs up his arm, and it sat on his on his head. Like a cap, and we just about died. And so I'll never forget that. I'll never forget his name. But what I did take away from that is that this big, hairy spider that looks so scary was not dangerous. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, it does have some venom, as it turns out, um, but it wasn't so dangerous that you couldn't touch it. It was approachable if you knew what you were doing. Right. And so we we know some of our the kids are going to be um, touching animals in very safe venues like petting zoos and, and you know, maybe at a zoo exhibit. Mm-hmm. You know, but the idea is that, you know, maybe you'll have an opportunity to touch animals outside of those venues and we're going to help them learn how to do that. Okay. And you have articles on your website, too. I, I understand you're developing an article on how to approach a strange dog that you don't know. Yes, but part of part of the the idea of the website is to continually add new articles on animals that children could make friends with. Mm-hmm. And I thought, you know, an important one is approaching a strange dog. Little kids, you don't necessarily have that sense of caution built into them. They see something. They're so attracted to animals. Mm-hmm. And, they, and, and they see an animal and they want to run over there and give it a big hug. And, and, and you can't necessarily do that with all dogs. That is so true. So um, one article that is upcoming and will be up within the next week or two is how to approach a strange dog. And, and, a, and a huge part of that message is if the owner isn't there, don't do it. 
even if that animal looks really friendly, you want to know this is a friendly animal, and you want to know you have the owner's permission. That's so important. I'm glad you brought that up, and I, I hope you really emphasize that, too, that you always ask permission before you start reaching out. I can't tell you how many times I've been out with my dogs, and little kids will already be petting my dogs while they're asking, can I pet your dog? <laughs> And it's fine with my dogs, but I know plenty of dogs who would have already bitten the hands of the little excited kids, and that's not a good thing. They need to ask first and get the definitive answer first and make sure it's okay with their parents also. Surely, even a dog that's friendly can be overwhelmed by a little kid, and and you really need to know that dog is safe Mm -hmm, to touch. And then, then, you know, there are ways to make friends with that dog. Sure. And if you get back to the idea of children loving all animals, I think this is a wonderful thing for parents to work on with their kids because when children develop a love for animals and a love for nature, that stays with them throughout their life and that affects them in so many ways and makes them really good people as adults, I think. You know, I'd have to agree with you there. They really recognize that they are sharing this planet with other beings, that it's not just about human beings and our needs, but we share the planet with so many other beings. And it's one of the reasons I really love this little project. Um, the idea came from my stepson, Tom Donahue. He has two little kids, and uh, we were at a family gathering, and he said, I have to show you what I did. He had made up um, journals, he had bought journals at a store and wrote on the outside of them, I pet uh, And, you know, I have to credit him entirely with, with this idea. So far, these kids have, I think, something like 48 animal pictures. Wow. Different animals that they've touched. They've made it um, a family project. Oh, that is so neat. And, and I bet they just love doing it, too. Well, they do. The, the littlest one is two years old, and, and who knows if he'll remember. He he certainly will have the pictures to remember it by. Mm-hmm. Um, the other what child, a great keepsake, too, to have all throughout your life that you could look back on fondly. It's it's something that I think is just invaluable. Well, I think it's a keepsake on many levels. It's a keepsake for the child to remember meeting all of these animal friends. Uh-huh. But it's also a keepsake for the adults that would be doing this with them. Like it's a it's a great project for say a grandparent. Yeah. If, if parents some parents, believe it or not, are not that interested in animals. And um I find that hard to believe myself but yeah. but they aren't. And but a, a grandparent might find that is the perfect project and I could just see a child going, Well where are we gonna go? What animal are we going to find this week? Um, Grandma yeah. you know, or Auntie Marie, where are we going? <laughs> such a great thing. I, I don't necessarily think that parents don't like animals, and there's not a lot of parents out there that don't like animals. I think it's more that they don't have time to do these fun little projects with kids, which is actually sad on so many levels, because you have your kids for such a short amount of time, and that time is so important. So if you can set aside part of your busy schedule to make sure you're doing fun and educational and life lesson activities with your kids, please do that. And this is such a wonderful project to do with your kids. It really will help them become compassionate, wonderful, inquiring people. 
right? Well, I would agree. Although I'd have to disagree. I do know some people that don't like animals. Oh, I do too. I do too. (laughs) (laughs) Because I know their children like them. Oh, okay, okay. (laughs) We're just going to leap the generation. Okay. That's what I always say when I give educational speeches on wearing ID tags, spaying and neutering, all that good stuff. I've pretty much given up on most adults. I, I try and direct my words to the kids because they're the ones who really soak it in and say, yeah, yeah, that's right, whereas the adults, they fall asleep. So <laughs> I've given up on them. They've heard it all. The next generation is the one that's going to change things and make things better. Susan. Do you have any kind of reaction to your book right now? Well, um, I I do have some. The book was just recently released, so it's not... uh, I don't have a lot of feedback at this point, just a couple of weeks in. Are you going to post some of that feedback on your website as you start getting more, maybe some photographs and some actual quotes that kids have written in their books? Oh, I I definitely am. I I got one little story about a little girl named Ellie who's... Um, Grandpa sent her the book with the idea that he was going to be taking her to zoos, mm-hmm. and um, she got so excited. She started looking through the book and immediately deciding which animal was going on which page. Aww. She doesn't even know what animal she's going to meet yet, but she has a very <laughs> clear idea which one she wants to meet. And and the story kind of astonished me because it's not a colorful book at this point. It will be when they fill it. Mm-hmm. There's nothing for them to look at but these places that they're going to fill out. And so Ellie has started filling it up with her imagination. That is wonderful. And that's exactly the kind of thing that I'd expect to happen because kids are so creative and so filled with this imagination that can go in so many different directions that you probably never even thought of yourself. Well, I'm I'm discovering this as I go along. I mean, what what it can mean just really exceeds what I thought. Wow. Um, it, even the educational side of it. You know, I wanted to put together something that was a keepsake that looked like fun. I was watching um, these children that would be my grandchildren, except they're not. Um, <laughs> and, you know, getting so excited about it. And um, and then I realized that at the same time that they're meeting animals and learning about animals, they're also developing their own powers of observation. And they have to really notice, well, what, are, what does that animal look like? What um, what is it fuzzy? Is it um, prickly? Is mm-hmm. it? I mean, what is that animal? And then we're asking them to put their observations into words. That's great. So and, again, Susan, this book is called. I touched a dot dot dot, and it's available. It's available through the website www.newanimalfriends.com, and they can also find it on Amazon.com. Excellent. And they can order it through Barnes and Noble, either online or if they go to the counter and order it. They won't see it in the stores. It's too new. Um, and they have to have a demand for it, but they can go to the counter and order it at the counter. It's listed. Excellent. Susan, this is a great activity book for kids, and I hope it really takes off. So thanks for being with us this morning to talk about it. My pleasure. It is time to take our last break of the morning, but when we return, be ready for Pet Place news and events. Stay tuned to the Pet Place radio show here on AM 1260. We're back on the Pet Place Radio Show. 
I'm Marie Hewlett, and it's time for Pet Place News and Events. The National Cat Protection Society, or NATCAT, is holding an open house today from 1 to 4.30 at its Newport Beach facility, located at 9031 Birch Street. NatCat is a nonprofit no-kill cat shelter that welcomes owner-relinquished cats and kittens to stay in clean and comfortable living quarters until they find a proper home. NatCat's state-of-the-art facilities with protected access to the outdoors and large enclosed patio areas let them enjoy themselves without compromising their safety. NatCat has two shelters in Southern California located in Newport Beach and Spring Valley. The trained staff and dedicated volunteers all share a tremendous love for cats and are selflessly dedicated to their well-being. To learn more about the Open House and the Society, visit natcat.org or call 949-650-1232. And don't forget to check out our website at www.petplace.org and send us your comments or suggestions for the show. That's all for me today. Remember, pets need love and a home, too. We'll be back next weekend here on AM 1260. I'm Marie Hewlett. Please, stay new to your pets and have a wonderful day. Thank you.